welcome to UIBP Conversations, where we have candid discussions about partnership and collaboration across academia, industry, and government. I'm Sandy Ma with UIDP, and today I'm joined by Darren Green, Director of Facebook Research. With more than 2.5 billion active users, Facebook is the biggest social network in the world. Everyone knows Facebook, but not everyone knows about Facebook Research and your work with universities all over the world. Can you tell us a little bit about the scope and the why behind Facebook Research? Yes, I'm happy to. So Facebook... I think like all major tech companies understands that although it likes to hire some of the best engineers and you know in-house researchers to have them sort of captive and focused on developing new products and services um it doesn't have a complete monopoly on you know great insight and you know breakthrough thinking so as a result I think fairly early on in Facebook's history it realized that it needed to have great contacts out uh, in the academic research community to explore topics that Facebook just doesn't have the bandwidth to, to de-risk some of its technology selections, and also to provide a pipeline for talent that otherwise might not consider Facebook as a career destination. So there are several ways that partnerships are built with universities that really do feed into Facebook researchers really larger agenda. Um, and when, by agenda, I mean you want talent development, you want workforce development, but you also want to make sure that you have the, the scope to dive into the topics that are out there that perhaps you wouldn't be able to do with your inside um, researchers. How have you seen that grow in the past several years? I think the biggest growth or the biggest change that we've gone through is breaking out of a relatively small number of engagements that were largely built on existing relationships. So obviously you recruit a, a few people into Facebook, they start to do research and they reach out to people that they know. Some of the best researchers in the world that we've recruited reach out to, you know, to their peers out in the external research community. And that gets you some way, but it it really, you know, you're beholden to sort of look beyond just that immediate circle of contacts. And I think what we've managed to do, particularly over the last sort of three or four years, is really broaden the mechanisms of engagement. So much greater participation in some of the major conferences around the world um, and open calls that we run on a very regular basis now. So typically every couple of months we'll have an open call for proposals where we'll identify the topic areas that are of interest to us um, and we'll we'll get proposals in from, you know, researchers scattered around. You know, it's completely, you know, there's, it always surprises us which countries and, you know, which universities and researchers are sort of interested in working on the challenges that we put out there. Uh, a lot of that funding, a lot of the monies that we make available initially are unrestricted gifts. So it's it's gift funding, which can be great for researchers externally to be able to sort of pursue their passions. Um, and if the work that they do looks interesting and the, the research that they publish, um, you know, looks like it's going in an interesting direction for us, it's a 
good way for us to then sort of reach out and say, hey, the work that you did with the monies that we gave you was great. How about actually we, we work on something together? And that evolution of sort of making ourselves more porous, providing an opportunity for people to, to tell us about what they want to work on and, and then as see the fruits of their efforts, I think is, is a great platform for us to now form some pretty deep collaborations on some rather challenging topics that you know we face like a lot of other major tech companies. What a great way to open the research funnel. I mean, you have engagements on at least four continents now. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, Facebook is everywhere, but so is Facebook research. Yes, it is. It's um, we we don't have the lab structure that some other companies do, where they've created a lot of satellite labs around the world. We're not at that point in our sort of journey, um, but that hasn't stopped us having, you know, engagements and conversations with people in the research community genuinely on a sort of global basis. Um, so it's more a testament of the sort of openness of the research community, I think, that they're willing to sort of reach out and, you know, collaborate with us. Um, yeah, obviously we're hugely benefiting from that. Well, this is not new for you. Um, before you were at Facebook, you led Microsoft research efforts for nearly nine years. There's a significant history there of partnering with universities around the world for strategic research. Why partner with universities for research? What are the key elements that make those partnerships really work? Yeah, so my, I, I must admit a lot of the reason why I think I'm you know, successful at Facebook is in large part from all of the experience that I um, that I gained at Microsoft Research, um, and I think the patterns are, are pretty much the same, not j just for Facebook, but the patterns of what make good makes a good relationship or good collaboration are, are, are pretty universal. Um, so the first thing is really a, a shared interest, you know, a common interest on solving a particular research challenge. Um, and having honest conversations about what works for each organization. So what, what's the company looking for? Um, what's the researcher in academia looking to do? Um, and then from an industry perspective, uh, some of the reasons, some of the motivations are things, I mean, a couple we've mentioned, we're looking for breakthroughs in a particular area. Uh, another may be access to talent. Um, but there are, there are other motivations for us. So it might be that we have developed a data set and we've sort of analyzed it with all the tools and techniques that we have. And now we're interested in seeing what, what other people can do with that, what insights they can drive. So further exploration of, of an existing data set. Um, uh, another may be that there's technologies that you know, we'd love to be able to try. Uh, we'd love to to see whether you know a completely different approach provides a breakthrough. We we're pursuing one path, but um, maybe there are other technologies that we could have could have used but chose not to. And um, academia has a has a way of sort of bringing quite radical tools, methodologies, techniques to. A, to bear on a problem that we may not have just thought of going down that pathway. So that that sort of technology exploration 
which amounts for us to de a de-risking of a technology selection. So we picked this, but it's great if some other people can check out the alternative to see if if they can pay off in the in the long term. Um, and uh, another might be that we have um, tooling that we've developed uh, that we'd like to see extended. Um, we'd like to see what the sort of limits of the technology are or whether it's relevant to different domains, domains that aren't pertinent to our business direction but may benefit society as a whole. So um, releasing that technology, getting feedback on it, seeing it extended usually as part of an open source effort are all you know, other motivating factors for us to engage with academia. That is amazing that I'm hearing a lot of common terms here that, that have a theme behind them. I'm hearing honest, open, shared, extended, releasing. Uh, it doesn't sound like um, Facebook research is too interested in keeping its learnings to itself. Is that an accurate statement? Um, yes, I, I think that if you look at the bulk of the research that we do, we, we definitely strive to, to have it peer-reviewed and published. Um, we're, I, I don't have the numbers directly to hand, but I know that we're producing thousands of papers a year and um, you know, most of those are at some of the major conferences in the in the areas, not just in computer science and, and AI, which does represent probably about 50% of the papers and research that gets done at, at Facebook. But there's social science, um, economics, policy research, um, augmented reality, um, networking. The, uh, you know, there's a bunch of topics that we're very active and sort of publish in. Um, and I think it's it's a healthy thing for a number of reasons. It, it relates a little bit to what I've already said in terms of just signaling that, hey, you can do great work at Facebook. So that career destination thing is in part um, seen as possible for researchers because they're, you know, they're leaving academia or they're in the late stage of their career at academia and then may, they may be looking around and they see great research getting published from Facebook. So it's a subtle signal of, hey, we're here and we're doing good work. Um, it's also a, a good way to test whether actually the what you think is cutting edge work uh, that you're deploying maybe at scale in some of our data centers or, you know, we're doing some algorithmic work on machine learning and, and we publish it. it it's it's a good indication of whether you're really at the leading edge if it's getting accepted into these conferences or if it's being published in journals and and then if it's being cite, you know, cited by other works. Um, so we do look at those things. Um, it's it's part of what I think motivates our researchers and, and our engineers so that we have a lot of people that are, are in, you know, day to day, they're, they're churning out uh, you know, improvements to the services and infrastructure within Facebook. Um, but they're, they're also able to take a little bit of time out to, to publish. So it's a release of their, you know, they maybe came from academia or they've, they've got colleagues in academia and it's a, it's a, a, an enriching way for them to stay connected to a community that they, you know, they're still part of effectively by, by publishing. Um, so yes, I'd like to think that we're, we're very open, and again, I, I, some of the some of the sort of attitude that there is in Facebook, I think, echoes other of the major tech companies that 
that similarly, there's great researchers at, at Google and Microsoft and Amazon that you see actively published as well. Um, and occasionally even collaboration between all of these companies, which is, uh, which is great to see. Well, you're not staying in your own silo. So it keeps you grounded when you can test assumptions by putting things out there and say, hey, what else is out there? What do you think of what we're doing? Um, it, I mean, it's just a way of, of, of making sure that you're on the right track or you're pursuing new things out there because you won't know if you don't ask. Yeah, there's, there's another, there's another uh, sort of side benefit as well, which is by publishing what we're doing and, and this has been intentional in some areas, we're also signaling what's important to, um, to industry. And, and by laying a little bit of a financial breadcrumb trail, uh, we can gently encourage researchers to go in a direction that, yeah, if they, if they do have breakthroughs, will be beneficial to us. So that is, in part, you know, our thinking when we when we look at our ex external engagement. Um, and some of the reason why I think it's important that academia does look, it does, does allow itself to be influenced, is that if researchers in academia are not working on industry-relevant challenges, then it may be hard for some of the people that are coming through um, the university system to, to land those those jobs land the jobs that are going to you know ultimately um you know help them in the long term have a successful career uh and and the the reason why i say that say that is that there are there are some situations now where it's very clear that the data sets that are really at internet scale reside within um you know large a small number of relatively large companies and the nature of the challenges of handling those data sets, understanding how to train systems on enormous uh, data volumes um, is something that um, we need academia to be still innovating. We need, we need people sort of challenging um, how that, you know, challenging the, the, the approaches um, that otherwise might stagnate within companies. Um, and to do that, really, they need to be finding a way to collaborate with us on the data sets that we're making available or that some of those academics are spending time in industry um, looking at the data, looking at the problems of, yes, training algorithms, but training algorithms at scale. You know, a, a great algorithm that works only on small data sets but can't scale up to, you know, billions of... Um, you know, of, of, of records, it probably isn't going to be successful for a company like, uh, like Facebook. You know, it's interesting to me when I look at the scope of the research that you are all involved in. Um, you come from a hard science background, molecular physics, high performance computing, um, but a hefty portion of Facebook research goes into the depths of, of human engagement and social impact that's tied to technology use. That's multidisciplinary research. Should universities be thinking more about how that what they can bring to industry by bringing in a multidisciplinary mindset when it comes to research projects? I think that the short answer is yes, for sure. I'm I'm heartened to see that. I think it's happening. Um, I think it's rare now that we talk to a department, you know, and 
typically computer science. That's that's a, a lot of our engagements are with the computer science departments, but they are extremely well connected with you know other related um, research research departments or schools uh, on whatever their campus is, um, and they very often will be giving us evidence examples of of where they're you know the cs department's working with you know biosciences or the business school or you know the social science area um and i think perhaps a lot of that has come about because of the rise of just data science of over the past decade or so and the the sort of skills that were needed and the training that was needed there so you'd have biologists that needed to have stronger data science skills and they were probably getting trained by the folks from the CS or stats um, um, side of the university. So I think uh, the rise in the availability of data, the increase in the, the in the volumes of data have sort of meant that to be relevant universities have had to blend the tools and techniques from one department with the domain expertise of another so yeah I, I i think you see it at facebook for sure because our business is people and the way that people interact um and our understanding of that is powered by you know tools from the computer science domain and and insights from social sciences so it's necessarily woven into our business but i th i think the same you, you can see the same patterns now when you look at, at universities um and uh yeah again we we benefit from that and i, I don't i don't th just think that's um uh that's a, a pattern unique to the u.s i think genuinely you're seeing it around the world well, I think that's healthy, though, because I mean, we, we if we work in silos, we really won't be able to connect what we learn from one area to another area. And I think it limits the science. What are the concerns around collaboration uh, with universities um, and research across the world that keep you up at night? What are the what are the sticking points that you still see? The sticking points for us are and, and the ones that I see are typically ones associated with just expectations. Um, so a, a, an industry partner to a university typically has a set of business outcomes that they're driving towards. Um, the university maybe has, uh, you know, research insights that it's, you know, breakthroughs that it, it, it would love to create. Um, but usually it's tied to some journey that a student is on, uh, maybe as part of a master's or a PhD. And making sure that those expectations and the timescales are aligned um, is is super important. Um, and again, that comes back to just the honest conversations early on about what success looks like for, for both sides. Um, intellectual property concerns aren't usually they they come up depending on whether you're doing contracted research uh or, or, or you know as opposed to just some lighter or more informal collaboration so yes there's always a discussion about uh, intellectual property and, and what the right sort of agreement on on license terms might be but usually those are those are just a matter of a, a conversation um you know and and sort of Picking what the right direction is. 
um, right now, uh, the just the difficulties that we have of all sort of working remotely, I think, provide a little bit more of a complexity. I mean, it's the same within a company. Everybody's working remote, so you're more distant from your co- from your coworkers. Um, so you you're suffering from not having that sort of FaceTime and more social interaction, um, which arguably means that collaborating with somebody in a university is pretty much the same as collaborating with somebody within your own company because the the type of interactions that you're having uh, are much the same. So there's an argument which is it's sort of more of a level playing field for both directions of collaboration. But I think after months of this now, um, staying engaged and staying interested on yet another, you know, conference call um, is just fundamentally a challenge. So, so the con- the concerns I have at the moment are not they're not necessarily about you know can we get university inter- you know engagements going? You know, it's more is the current working context really serving us or are we able to to sort of handle this and still get good outcomes for the faculty and the students that we're interacting with are we are we remaining connected enough um with these folks to get the research outcomes that we were hoping for um particularly for students i think it's challenging for them where they might have expected maybe to have done an internship to have really understood what it's like to be um, uh, at a company um, you know facebook sort of prides itself on the fantastic work environment that's provided wonderful perks <laughs> food and snacks um you know which which yeah i think for for some students is a is a huge reason why they might want to spend time doing an internship with us so there's there's a there's a huge loss i think that's happened to the uh certainly the this summer interns uh cohort and i that i worry about that i worry about the lost the the loss of connections the connections that are not being formed the interactions the coffee uh you know the the sort of micro kitchen you know, at the coffee stand and water cooler interactions that are not taking place that ultimately might have led to somebody choosing to join Facebook or another company. I mean, I just, for all all of us that would normally have interns, I think that we're, we're only going to know in sort of six to 12 months of, okay, when these um, these folks sort of blossom, when they finish their, their master's or, you know, degrees or PhDs or whatever stage they're at, um, I think it's it's going to be telling to see what the stats look like, where they go, okay? Do they try and stay in academia because they didn't make the connections in industry? Or, you know, will academia still be sort of suffering a little bit financially and unable to recruit the faculty that it might have otherwise done if we hadn't had you know the pandemic and people hadn't been working remotely so it's a it's a horrid experiment that we're all sort of witnessing um but those are the things that concern me because I, you know I'm trying to figure out okay how do we make it the best experience that we can how do we compensate for that what what do we do to differentiate ourselves to, such that the people that are still 
choosing to collaborate with us that are, that are doing those remote internships are, are still finding it a compelling experience um, such that they'll consider us as a career destination or that we're getting the research outcomes that we we'd originally hoped for for whatever the engagement is um, and I'm sure I'm not alone it, it it's a pretty universal concern uh, you know when I talk to peers in other companies and as well as folks on the academic side it's um you know there's just a shared angst over how this is all going to play out that is it is a, a big problem for a lot of industry because for the reasons you stated i'm i'm curious um did facebook do anything fairly creative to uh to try and and give their um, their virtual interns this summer a, a, a great experience despite the fact that they aren't able to have those water cooler experiences um i yeah i think there's been a, a lot of counseling to the intern managers i'm not an intern manager myself but there's been a whole load of input uh, to them so i think facebook in the same way that it has a fairly uh, you know enriched um on on campus, you know, when you when you go to one of the Facebook offices, it's a it's a pretty pretty visually enriching, you know, um, culinary enriching um, experience. So yeah, we can, we can't we can't do all of those things in a virtual setting, but I think they've genuinely driven a whole load of um, extracurricular activities um, to try and still build community. Obviously, Facebook's a lot about connecting people. Um, it's it's part of why we exist and uh i think that they're using all of the sort of tools and techniques um to to still give a good experience to um to the interns that we're that we've got um there <laughs> my team actually has has done some really fun things to onboard our new team members um and during this period so uh, we've created some welcome videos where we sort of each introduce ourselves and and then either do something a little bit silly or you know um, we'll we'll share some sort of trivial information trivial information about ourselves and uh, I think it's it's doing certainly from for my team doing things like that that just demonstrate that actually you know facebook and this team is a little bit special a little bit unusual so when you join when when we've been hiring people when they join they sort of feel like we've we've done a little bit extra and they sort of know us each individually even though we've never met and some of the people that we've hired we still haven't met in person everything's been virtual and again i know that isn't isn't unique we're you know companies that are still hiring are doing it virtually so um but that's that's an example of where I think you know little little things injected that just sort of give a signal of hey we really care um, actually go a long way um, to make you know to make it a little bit more to to replace some of that in person social interaction. Yeah, yeah, it's it's impossible to actually replace it, but making it personal and one-to-one -one interactive. And it sounds like you have um, some pretty strong mentoring happening as well, which I, I'm certain those, those students will find valuable. Well, COVID of course knocked all of us back um, quite a bit. Do you think that it has taught us anything about cooperation between business and academia and our ability in general to address issues when we really need to? I know Facebook's uh, symptom survey 
has had incredible impact uh, just across the board. What do you think? Do you think we've learned something from this? I think my key learning and takeaway from the past five or six months of working remotely are that actually I can, I've been learning a lot more about the partners that I have in academia than I would have done if I'd just been greeting them in my office or meeting them at conferences because they've had a lens on my world. They see my home. I see their homes. I, I understand more about their, their life context. And I, I don't mean this in a in sort of a, 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 a sort of an inappropriate way that oh you can you can see how their house is decorated and oh, I wouldn't have chosen you know a lampshade like that it's more oh look you know you've you've got a picture on your wall of of you know a scene in Venice and you can actually engage with it you can make an observation that you know did you did you go to Venice and then you find out that actually that you know they've traveled around the world gone to some wonderful places and you find things that you have in common and, and it's triggered by the fact that you're you're necessarily making a, a very different type of connection to that individual um it may be that there's family members that are sort of interjecting every now and then or they're you know, you see what they've cooked because they're they're trying to squeeze some food in between meetings. And again, all of these are just gentle little signals that actually, for me, connect me to the to the you know these these partners in a way that would not have happened otherwise. And so I I find that hugely beneficial, and I I'm happy to share when I'm on calls with people, you know, what the choices I've made about the room that I'm in or the, the setting. Um, so I feel like they're learning more about me. Um, so I think we're going to, when we're out, out of this, we'll probably find that we're, we're sort of COVID friends in with a certain set of people that we've interacted over this time and know, just know more about them. Um, because you're effectively joining them at home in a way that would never have otherwise happened. Your session at UIDP Connect uh, 2020 talks about joint employment opportunities, co-employment opportunities. You want to give us a little bit of a broad stroke outline of some of your thoughts? Yes, happy to. Um, and I think the process that we've been through with UIDP has sort of converged um, great thoughts, great experience, not not just from Facebook, but but from a lot of the folks that contributed to the report. So I don't want to in any way claim credit for all of the sort of good insights that I think we've come out with. But um, my takeaways from this is if, if you are considering joint employment, so this is where somebody's part employed at the university and part employed in, in a company, um, that you should, you should have the conversations as early as possible. So if you're the industry partner looking to recruit, part recruit somebody that's currently in academia, then have that conversation, but really involve the university body as early as possible. Um, and I think it's important because it, it 
it allows you to establish, hey, this is what we're trying to do. This is the, the, the faculty maybe is interested in this. It's important for the university to know. It's important that the university gets an early chance to express any constraints or concerns that it has over the nature of that engagement. So having that early conversation, honest, open, I think is, is a key uh, sort of starting point. And then um, uh, uh, establishing a, a good separate and healthy separation of the efforts. So what work do they do when they're at the university? What defines that? What's the sort of scope of that? And then how is that different from the work that they're going to be doing while they're at the company? And, and how are you going to maintain that air gap? Um, and that's not just sort of the concept of the research, but it's, you know, the, the devices that they're using. Are they, you know, are they going to be using a different, you know, laptop? What data are they going to be interacting? What code? What are the resources will be brought to bear at this? So that at the end of, you know, at the engagement, it's pretty clear that, no, this was work done for the company on the company's resources you know a time that was dedicated by the faculty for that work and and is distinct from you know the equivalent set of duties responsibilities and contribution that that the faculty member makes makes it when they're working at the university and then all of that for the students as well if there are students involved okay so also sitting down with the students setting expectations because very often Yes, faculty may be co-employed, but then there's research that actually some of the faculty's students are maybe, is maybe best placed to do. It's going to take place uh, in in the the context of the company. So everything that we've said about um, the importance of getting ahead of some of these and having those discussions for the faculty sort of apply to the student as well. But the student's probably in a more vulnerable position because you know they're less experienced. And they don't have an, an existing employer like the, the university. So some protection and care needs to be taken over making sure that they understand exactly what the constraints are. You know, can they still publish if they're doing work at the company? Um, will they be able to take some of the data back and use it in some of their academic research? And there isn't a single answer. So I'm not saying I'll definitely do this or that. Um, it's more, and I think the report does, does this particularly well, is just lays out the framework of, of considerations. Um, and, um, and yeah, where, where some of the potential pitfalls are, which are sort of in amongst what I've, what I've just described. What you've just talked about, a lot of those things are also what has to happen before you start any kind of a sponsored research agreement as well. You have to set expectations. You have to know what the boundaries are. You have to um, to be able to say this is ours and this is yours. But bring, but it really makes sense to spell it out for both faculty and for student researchers that are involved in a joint employment because it it just is a little bit muddier water than usual. Yes, and I think that the the under a sponsored research agreement um the research typically will take place at the university and um the university has clear insight into what's happening the the difference and where the trust really comes in is that well now the faculty is going to be spending time at the university and maybe the students as well and does does everybody feel comfortable with that arrangement and trusting that there isn't leakage of 
data or something valuable from from one side to the other or you know that that needs to be sort of talked about and that's really where i think you know that the difference from the sponsored research agreement and you know really lies it's it's about trust and it's about f- framing the the research and um giving it the sort of context on the two sides and and really defining it so that everybody's clear and comfortable well thank you so much for um for helping to lead the joint employment and uh, joint appointments uh guide which we're going to be seeing very very soon from uidp because it is in a review right now so um thank you so much for joining us did you have anything else you wanted to talk about no Sandy, I think it's been great. Thanks. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm looking forward to the panel session later this year. Well, thank you. What a pleasure. I can't wait to, to watch your panel. Um, and I really can't wait to shake your hand next time we can see each other in person and actually shake hands. <laughs> thank you to Darren Green, Director of Facebook Research, for joining us today for UIDP Conversations. And join both of us September 21st through 25th for UIDP Connect our virtual conference that connects you with the influencers behind innovative R&D collaboration. Learn more at UIDP.org.